Yesterday, Scarlett woke me up by handing me an ice cube. <laughs> Every so often, Molly and I try to give each other a break by taking over with Scarlett and letting the, ex- the other sleep an extra 30 minutes or so. And yesterday morning, it was my turn to get a little extra sleep. But of course, all good things have to come to an end. The good news is that it usually ends in a very sweet way, with Scarlett coming to wake me up. Yesterday, it gets to be about 7.30. That's what counts for sleeping in these days. And I hear a little voice walk up next to the bed saying, Daddy, wake up. Oh, it's not great. Then I become aware she wants to hand me something. So I hold out my hand, and she hands me an ice cube. Is there a more efficient way to make sure someone wakes up and gets out of bed? It's not just the jarring shock of the cold. It's that being handed an ice cube by a toddler raises all sorts of disconcerting questions. How did you get this? How many others are there? Where are they now? These are the sorts of things that force your mind out of that warm, cozy stupor and into the cold, harsh world of being an adult. That being said, the most basic problem when someone hands you an ice cube is that you can't just sit there and hold it. Once it's in your hand, it's a situation you can't ignore. It's cold, it's wet, it's melting. Staying in bed is simply not an option. You have to get up and do something about it. Here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus hands us an ice cube. So much of what he says in these final lines of the sermon has to do with a severe last word of gravity. Don't just listen to my words. Do something with them. He lets us know in no uncertain terms that the teaching he's just placed in our hands, this vision of life in his Father's kingdom, is not something we can just hold in our hands, smile sweetly at, and then ignore, rolling over and going back to sleep as though life will carry on with business as usual. Jesus may come to us with gentleness. He may speak to us with a still, small voice, but he's not playing. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. His words are a situation we have to get up to deal with and do something about. He's taught us to love our enemies and called us to be peacemakers, salt and light in the world. He's taught us to seek reconciliation and life-honoring relationships with our brothers and sisters. He's taught us not to perform our faith in order to earn praise from others. He's called us not to judge but to take the plank out of our own eye before examining and scrutinizing the speck in our neighbors. And in all these things he has said to us, do to others as we would have them do to us. We've gathered as his disciples, craning our necks, trying to listen in, and now he closes the sermon by saying we would be fools if we thought it was enough only to have heard and not, only, not also to do these words. That's the ice cube he's handed to us. You can't unhear it or give it back now. Now we have to deal with it. 
That's what that whole parable about the two foundations is all about. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Now, we know something about the situation he describes of the rain falling and the floods coming, both at our homes and at our church. Thanks to the Building and Grounds Committee for devising all manner of ways to keep our fellowship hall dry. Jesus might have said something in this parable about a good drainage system that directs water away from the foundations in the first place, maybe about making the structure watertight. Water's been rising this week. Each morning this week, as I've made my way up 11E, I've been watching the waters rise been watching those roadside drainage ditches that are usually dry or sometimes provide an outlet for little streams. I've watched them turn into rushing watercourses, veritable rivers complete with rapids. I've been watching that neighborhood in Strawberry Plains that got flooded horribly last year, where the water just seemed to sit for months on end into the spring, and sure enough, that same neighborhood was hit again last week. Now, I can't be sure. But looking at those homes from the road, the foundations seem pretty solid. But when the rains fell and the floods came, the waters rushed in just the same. It's all fine and good if your house is still standing after the flood because it's got a good foundation built on rock. But what good is that foundation if it's built in a place where the waters keep rising? What strikes me about the ice cube Jesus hands us is while he does call us to act on his words, not just to listen to them and to do something with them, it's not a call to do just anything. It's not a call to mindless action. His words require wisdom. Not just to build a foundation, but the wisdom to build a life-giving foundation. There are wise ways and foolish ways of acting on his words. On that day, Jesus warns us, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? You see, it's not just about knowing his name or even doing things in his name. There will apparently be prophets, people who come in Jesus' name, and though they claim it on their lips, Though they tell us they come to preach his word and do his mighty work, they are ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. It's not just a question of whether we take the words of Jesus with us when we go forth from this place, whether we can quote chapter and verse, or even declare that we're doing ministry in Jesus' name. False prophets can do that just as well as true ones. The question for us is how to tell The difference. You will know them by their fruits, Jesus teaches. People who come in Jesus' name can bear good fruit, and they can also bear bad fruit. Both kinds produce a type of fruit. They're both doing something with his words. The question is not whether they produce fruit at all, but what kind of fruit they produce. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the rotten tree bears bad fruit. If the fruit you collect from that tree over there keeps making you sick, 
it's probably not a good tree to get fruit from. If you're hoping that it will give you something good, but it keeps hurting you, you might want to try a different tree. It takes wisdom to know what to do with Jesus' words. It takes discernment to know how to interpret what people do with his words, to tell the truth prophets from the false ones, to find the life-giving trees and become life-giving communities. The gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it, he says. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. There are ways of following Jesus that lead to destruction, that produce poisonous fruit. There are ways of being Christian that bring poison into our lives and into our world. But there are also ways of following Jesus that lead to life, that give life and nourishment and blessing to all those around us and to ourselves. We will know the difference by their fruit. The ice cube Jesus gives us today is something we have to deal with. But he teaches us to pay close attention to how we deal with it. We who would be disciples of Jesus need to realize that discipleship carries with it the terrible possibility of bringing either good or bad fruit into this world. In the name of Christ, people have done wonderful things in this world. And in the name of Christ, people have done vicious things. Our discipleship can do both. If our discipleship does not give life in this world, then we have not been building on a foundation that bears good fruit. It's not enough to say, Jesus said it, I believe it, that settles it. We have to ask what kind of fruit will grow in this world if we act this way. What fruit will it bring forth? Will it offer the world the cup of salvation? Or will it bring forth thorns and thistles that tear flesh, rotten fruit that poisons the hungry? Let me give you an example. In his letter from Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King Jr. was confronted with the question of how his movement of civil disobedience could justify breaking some laws while keeping others, why he could urge people to obey the Supreme Court's decision to desegregate schools while also urging people to disobey city ordinances that promote segregation. And his answer was that it requires discernment, the wisdom to determine which laws are just and which are unjust. And the way to do this, he says, is to look at what kind of fruit it produces in people's lives, what kind of effect it has on people. Any law, he writes, that uplifts human personality is just, and any law that degrades human personality is unjust. All segregation statutes are unjust, he concludes, because segregation distorts the human soul and damages the personality. It creates domination. It enforces the sinful condition of separation. It severs the beauty of life-giving relationships by reducing people to things. That's what he says. That is bad fruit. But part of the problem King confronted was that it wasn't only that the law justified a situation that was bearing bad fruit, degrading people's lives, but that Christians did. 
and did so in good faith from their perspective. Our faith, the name of Jesus, was claimed on both sides of that struggle. It was Martin Luther King's Christian faith that led him to challenge the same system of segregation that other Christians fought to keep in place. The point is that our faith can lead us to the bad as well as the good if we don't pay close attention to the fruit. What kind of fruit does it produce in people's lives? This is where Jesus leaves us at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He lays out a rule of discernment when it comes to how to live out our faith in him and how we live in his name. Look at the fruit. See what it's doing to you and to other people. And he gives us this rule of discernment right after giving us another rule, the golden rule, in everything do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule is more than be nice. It's more than be decent, although that's a start. It's more than do no harm. It's an invitation to build relationships, to wonder how things affect others, and to reflect on it so carefully that we can imagine ourselves in their position, to have so much empathy and compassion that we can see this world through each other's eyes. It puts any relationship of domination or injustice completely out of the question because we're to see ourselves in one another. That's the foundation for life-giving fruit for the love that brings God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. If a prophet comes in Jesus' name, teaching us to do something that does not lead us to treat others with the same respect, empathy, compassion, and love as we would want for ourselves or as we would want for our children, that prophet is false. If there's any note in the way they claim the name of Jesus, that degrades the human person, that builds on hate. They are building on a bad foundation, and it will produce bad fruit. If our understanding of the law and the prophets does not lead us to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, then we've got the law and the prophets wrong. If our understanding of faith does not lead us to the practice of love, we've got our faith wrong. In defense of civil disobedience, Martin Luther King quoted St. Augustine, who said that an unjust law is no law at all. Here I would also quote the same St. Augustine, who once said that anyone who thinks he has understood the divine scriptures, but cannot by his understanding build up the double love of God and neighbor, he has not even begun to understand them. So here's the ice cube I leave with you this morning. There are life-giving ways of being disciples, and there are destructive ways of being disciples, ways that lift up and make whole, and ways that dehumanize and destroy. You will know them by their fruits. So in the name of Jesus, question this day and every day whether our faith is bringing life or death into this world whether the way we read the Bible brings blessings or curses, whether the way we follow Jesus and do church is doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. Amen.